0: I was just so blessed this morning, you know. So often just in daily life, we can learn about our relationship with God. And during the worship this morning, um your eldest son just sort of waltzes down the aisle and, and, and just comes and 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 just has total access to you. And he grabs your hand and he wants to talk to you, wants to engage with you. And and in that moment it was such a picture for me of how we are encouraged to come to our Father. You know, in the natural, this is a real important time for him. <laughs> you know, it's Sunday morning. It's, it's, it's the moment that he's, you know, really doing what he's called to do. And in that moment, in the natural, it should be, leave him alone. No, not now. But the Father's heart is, sure, my son. What do you want? What do you need? And isn't that a beautiful picture of how we can come to God? So often, we put the boundaries on. God's busy. There's other things happening. But God really just wants us to be able to come to him at any time. With anything on our heart. I have no idea what he was chatting to you about. Whether it was important or even not so. But to him it was. (laughs) To him it was, I need to speak to my dad now. And so what a beautiful picture of us being able to come to our Father at any time. Never too busy. Never with something that's too small or insignificant. And I want to encourage us because the Bible speaks to the fact that we can come to God as little children. And that's okay. So just that wasn't part of my sermon at all. That's just something for free, for extra for this morning. Uh, we'll get into it this morning. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to take you back 2,000 years and, and just go with me for a little bit this morning because I want to paint a little bit of a picture. I'd like us to go back to that first Easter Friday night. Jesus has just died <laughs> and in his wake, in his sacrifice, in his giving of himself, he leaves a bunch of people in a very strange place. And so I'm just going to paint that little picture. I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna put myself in the shoes of one of those disciples. Just for a few minutes. Just, just go with me and just, just try and put yourself in that place of what must that have been like that Easter Friday night what what's just happened? I can't believe it. this last twenty four hours. Oh, when I try and think about what's happened, I mean. Yesterday, this time, we were having Passover. Just like 24 hours ago, he told me, he told us that that he was the Messiah. He revealed himself to us. And now he's dead. Really? I mean, we believed him. We believed that he was the Messiah. I, I, I was there. I, I saw those blind eyes open. I saw him multiply the fish and the bread. I was there when when, when those people who died came back to life. But now can he really be dead? I don't even know what to think anymore. So so many thoughts. So many thoughts. My mind. How do I feel? I feel desperate. I feel I feel like the hope that we had has been extinguished. Because we had we had so much hope. We, we were hoping that he would be the Messiah, that he would set us free from these Romans, that, that we'd have a new way to connect with God. And now that hope is... I mean, just, just a few days ago, we came into the city and people were screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And now those same people, yesterday, were shouting, "Crucify him!" I'm so angry about it. I feel so betrayed. I also feel stupid. I feel like, I feel like I've been sucked into something that just wasn't real. I mean, how can it be real? He's died. All those things he said, uh, that couldn't have been true. If you want to really know, I actually feel crushed. I feel I just feel crushed this morning. Hmm. That Easter Friday night. The night that the hope of the world was extinguished. If if we took a snapshot of Jesus' life and his ministry at that moment, we would have to say he failed. Because when he died on that cross, in the natural, it wasn't a success. In the natural, if you just looked at it in face value, it was anything but successful. You see, on the road to Emmaus, a few days later, we pick up with some of those disciples who were in that place of turmoil, who were struggling to come to terms with what has just happened. It's in Luke 24. We're going to read a few verses Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near, and he went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and before the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who would redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. You see, in those few days between Easter Friday and Easter Sunday, to all intents and purposes, what Jesus set out to do, it failed. And it left those disciples in that place of questioning, in that place of trying to understand in that moment what has just happened. You see, 2,000 years later, when we look back on that, we have the hindsight of perfect vision. We can see God's plan of salvation. We can see it all working together, but so often we fail to recognize what it must have been like for those people who were living between Friday when he died and between Sunday when he'd raised. And that must have been a very difficult place to be. In those few short days, victory was not on anyone's lips except God's because he knew He saw, he understood. The disciples, everything they knew was confusing. Everything that they saw was defeat. And they understood nothing of what was busy taking place. And in many respects, it's hard to trust when you are in that place. That Easter Friday night, it's so hard when you look at things in the natural and they haven't worked out the way you wanted them to work out. That place of disappointment, that place of unfulfilled expectations, the place of broken dreams, maybe broken promises. Have you ever been in that place? I don't know if you have. Maybe, maybe some of us are there right now. But it's a hard place to trust when all you look at looks like it's not working out the way we want it to work out. Just like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, we have questions when we face disappointment. When things haven't turned out the way we were hoping. But what do we learn as we look back on Easter Friday night, all those years ago? We learn that God sees a bigger picture. We learn that from an eternal perspective, things can look different than what they look in the natural, in the here, and in the now. You see, the death of Christ brought short-term despair. Short-term feelings of betrayal short-term loss of faith. But his resurrection ignited a hope that they never had. It ignited faith. It ignited loyalty. There could never have been a resurrection if there'd never been a crucifixion. The problem that we had is on Easter Friday night, That wasn't that obvious. You see, God was up to something that Easter Friday. We look back on it and we see an an unbelievable plan of salvation unfolding. But in that moment, that wasn't obvious. When we look back on that moment, we struggle to make sense of what was happening. And so when we look at things in our lives, here and now, and they don't make sense, they don't add up, we have disappointment, we can trust that from an eternal perspective, God is working things out that we have no idea about. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7, I love, love this verse. It says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Hmm. The wisdom of God in a mystery. Isn't that what took place that Easter Friday night? It was the wisdom of God being unfolded. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, was laying down his life so that 2,000 years later, we who believe in that sacrifice can have salvation. We can be connected to God. It was God's wisdom unfolded. The hidden wisdom of God. There is a wisdom of God which is a mystery to us when we look only in the natural. But when we're able to look beyond what's happening in the natural. We see the wisdom of God being unfolded in our lives. I love that verse because it also tells us that Satan was completely blindsided by what took place that Easter Friday night. It says there, verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, had they known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan thought that he, he delivered a hammer blow of defeat for Jesus. But what unfolded was actually a hammer blow of victory because in the resurrection of Jesus, there was the opportunity for all of mankind to be saved. On that Easter weekend, 2,000 years ago, God was up to something. He saw the bigger picture. He was working from an eternal perspective. And at times when we only see the piece of the picture in front of us, it looks like defeat. It tastes like disappointment. We feel sad like those disciples on the road to Emmaus. But when we analyze the most important event in all of human history, it helps us to trust God's plan for our lives. If in the darkest hour of human history, when the Savior of the world, to all intents and purposes, had lost the battle, and in that moment God was working it out for our good, surely today we can trust Him. When we look at circumstances and situations, and in the natural It doesn't look like it's working out for our good. Trust. Trust Him. It's an interesting thing, trust. It's not ever developed in isolation. It requires a foundation of love to operate. 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know as I'm also known. And now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. You see, if I don't know that you love me and have my best interest at heart, how will I ever know to trust you? But as I get to know you, as I get to know your character, I get to know that you really do have my best interests at heart. And if I start to see that, I can start to trust you. So trust is contingent on what I know about you and on what I see you do. What I believe about you will determine how much I trust you. What I see you doing will determine whether you're worthy of that trust. So what do we believe about God? What do we see Him doing for us? Because what we believe about Him affects how much I'm prepared to trust Him. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What do we learn about God? Number one, we learn that he loves us. Not with a love that's distant, Not with a love that is far away, but with a love that came near to us. He met us where we were at. A love that allowed himself to sacrifice to see that we come into relationship with him. A love that was practical. A love that gave. A love that put us first. Some of us have been privileged to have amazing fathers i'd like you to think about the best dad that you know it might be your own it might be somebody else think about that that dad and then as we read matthew 7 let's see what it says about our heavenly father what man is there among you if his son asks for bread we'll give him a stone or if he asks for a fish we'll give him a serpent if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more how much more how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask he is a good father better than the best father that we know So what we believe about Him and how we interpret His actions will determine how much we're able to trust Him. Right believing produces right living. When we believe the right thing about God, we start to live in right relationship with Him. And when we believe that God loves us, when we believe that he's working everything out to our good, we can trust him. Even when things don't make sense. Even when we're going through our own Easter Friday night. Even when everything that we look at looks like defeat, it looks like despair, it looks like, God, what are you even doing? Because we know him and because we know his character, And because we know that he's been there for us, we can trust him when things don't make sense. When we allow ourselves to be held by him, when we allow ourselves as little children run into the arms of their father with such abandon and just allow ourselves to be held in that embrace, We sense his love. We embrace his love. We receive his love. It's in those moments that we're able to trust him. And say, Dad, even though I don't understand, I know that you love me. And I know that you're working things out for my good. Romans 8.28 says, For all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. When we receive his love, we are empowered to trust him and to follow his direction, even when all we can see is just the next step. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He leads us step step step. So often, we want to be able to see the whole journey. We want to be able to look ahead, like with a spotlight and go, ah, that's what the next two kilometers looks like. But that's not how God works with us. God gives us a lamp for the next step. He sees the journey that we're on. And He will provide the wisdom he will provide the direction if only we allow Him to lead us and to guide us step by step by step. Nothing that He does will ever harm us. He's a loving Father. He'll always be protecting us, He'll always be providing for us. He will always be on the lookout. For our best interests, and we understand that Satan comes and steals to, tries to destroy, but even in those attacks, God is able to turn things out for our good. The Bible is full of examples, full of examples of things that came against people, and God was able to turn it around. I'll, I'll just use one brief, quick example, Acts Chapter sixteen. Gives us the example of Paul casting out a demonic spirit from a young girl who was used by those who owned her. She was a slave. She was used to um, make money. The spirit was was um, the spirit that was in her would help her to foretell and be able to prophesy. And so her masters made a lot of money off of her, and when they, when that spirit encountered Paul, the girl ran around after her saying, you're the son of the most high God, and it she would, looked like for days would just walk behind Paul shouting this, and eventually he gets upset, he gets fed up, and he says, come out of her, and the spirit leaves her, that, that Evil spirit leaves her. And in an instant, her master loses the ability to earn a lot of money. And because of that, he then gets Paul and Silas thrown in prison. They're accused of treason. And so not only do they get thrown in prison, they get beat up bad. And in the middle of prison, the Bible tells us in Right in the midnight hour, they're praising God in the midst of those circumstances which are not great. And then it goes from bad to worse because there is an earthquake. Now, in my books, that's a pretty bad day at the office. I'm doing the right thing. I get beat up. I get arrested. I'm in the middle of the prison. And then there's an earthquake. I can't run away. Stuff might be falling down. I can't, I'm, I'm locked in stocks. In the natural, in that moment, that's not a great place to be. But it's that very thing that leads to their freedom. Because in the earthquake, their chains fall off. The prison doors fling wide. And the story goes on to finish up with the jailer. He who was tasked with, with keeping them under lock and key, coming to salvation, not just him, but his whole family. You see, so often when we look at things just in the moment, it looks terrible, it looks desperate. Where can God be in this? These walls might fall on me, I can't get away. But it was the earthquake that led to their freedom. Not only their freedom, There was a bigger picture. God was at work because people came to salvation. And so often, church, we get stuck in the moment. We look at that particular instance and we go, God, where are you right now? But He's there all along, working things out for our good. He sees the bigger picture. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. His plan for our life was established before the foundation of the world. And he's busy working it out in our lives. The end of the book, Revelation says, we win. That's how it finishes We win, not because we're amazing, but because he is amazing. And so this morning I've asked the band to come and just provide an opportunity. Come through, guys, for us just to worship and to allow ourselves to be held by God and just to feel his love. Because when we feel his love, we recognize that no matter what we're going through, He's got us. He's leading us. He's working it out. Even when we can't see that it's working out for our good, when we experience his love, we feel the embrace, the warmth of our Father. And that's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to to stand this morning and just open up your heart. Put aside everything else that you may be going through. And allow God to minister his love to you. You you, you can be like Adrian's little boy this morning. You can just come in and say, Daddy, I've got some stuff on my mind. Daddy, there's some things that I'm going through. And you know, every time we do that, every time we place a demand on God, he loves it. Because as a dad, you love to be there for your child to be able to meet them where they're at. And so we're going to worship again. We're going to open up our hearts and just come to Him this morning as a little child and allow Him to love you this morning.